Well, the Old Testament lesson for this Sunday is from the book of Jonah, the third chapter. This text speaks for itself, but Jonah was sent to the people of Nineveh, who were known to be very cruel, very cruel people, very, well, anti-God type of people. And anyways, he goes to the city and he, Jonah calls the people to repent of their sin. And lo and behold, miracle of miracles, these wicked people actually do repent of their sin and God relents from bringing a calamity upon them. This is what we hear in Jonah 3. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson appointed for this Sunday is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, and this will also serve as the basis for the sermon on this Life Sunday. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the, one, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
The text for this morning's message, as we do observe Life Sunday, is from the epistle lesson that I read a few moments ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but at this time I'd like to highlight verses 22 through 27. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, do, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to, the part, to that part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is our text. In the name of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the creator of all human life, amen. As I begin this message, I want to acknowledge that I'm indebted to Reverend Stephen P. Carlson of Ruthred Lutheran Church in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania. For much of the material I'm going to be sharing with you this morning comes from a sermon that he composed. He was commissioned by Lutherans for Life to write a sermon for this occasion of Life Sunday. And so I am borrowing from his work. Now, Corinth was, one, was, was the greatest city in Greece during the time of St. Paul. Its strategic location on the Greek isthmus gave it advantage over other cities because it gave it control of the east-west trade routes. And it brought great wealth into the city and at the same time exp ex exported its culture throughout the world. Corinth was a city that had over a thousand shrines and temples dedicated to various kinds of gods and goddesses, with the temple of Aphrodite actually sitting on a cliff about 1,800 feet above the city. Philosophers waxed wise in their pursuit, and in their pursuit of knowledge. The Isthmian Games were held in an 18,000-seat auditorium. So Corinth was the center of commerce and culture and religion and philosophy and entertainment. The Corinthians loved winners. Pride, power, possessions, pleasure, prestige, and position were sought in Corinth. There was a clear difference between the haves and the have-nots. In the city, well, it was filled with a lot of invisible people. Slaves, lower-class people, and those who struggled to find a safe and secure place in society. Those who were viewed as an unnecessary burden on society were disposable at the whim and the word of those who held power. Well, the unborn and the newly born were clearly invisible to the conscience of the empire. In fact, some of the Greek philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle all talked about how the unborn or even the recently born could be put to death. Following suit, Cicero and Seneca also casually talked about how life could be terminated if there was an unwanted 
child. It was simply the way of the world in those days. Now, we would like to think that there are far wiser people today, that we are much far wiser today, and that we've advanced far beyond those dark days. But our world has struggled to understand the value of human life. That either appears to have little potential for our society, or is simply seen as disposable or inconvenient. And it's often, we often have this attitude because of our prejudices, because of our fears, and yes, simply because of our immaturity. During World War II, the Nazis had a phrase, life unworthy of life. And they used this slogan to justify the elimination of any life that did not fit into their vision of a master race. Life that was of a different race or religion, culture, political ideology, or life that was feeble and frail and infirm or impoverished or deformed and disabled was deemed life unworthy of life. And it was viewed by the Nazis as being undervalued or unvalued and even disposable. Well, in our nation, as one traces the dark history of Planned Parenthood, one quickly discovers the deep-seated belief of eugenics, which harbors discrimination and racism. And Planned Parenthood, over the years, has targeted the poor and has discriminated against the African-American people as well, as they've targeted that community for abortion. And sadly, even to this day, Planned Parenthood still targets the poor and the African-American people when it comes to abortion. And then just recently, not so long ago, something that would have only maybe been whispered is now publicly proclaimed, even in the government seats of our, of our country. For recently, the governor of Virginia called for the right to infanticide in which a child after being born will be kept comfortable while the mother makes her decision about whether or not to keep her child or not. I've used a euphemism there for the sensitive ears of our children who might be here. And then there was also this headline that was in the USA Today, a standing ovation for abortion? That's what Ashley McGuire reported in USA Today back on January 30th of 2019. She writes, and I quote, that's what New York's Reproductive Health Act got in the Senate chamber when it was passed last week. Lawmakers and bystanders stood and applauded a law that legalizes abortion all the way up until birth for any reason. Can you imagine that? Our lawmakers in New York State applauding abortion. McGuire continues in her piece, and I quote, Americans... American support for late-term abortion continues to decline. One poll last year found that a mere 13% of Americans support abortion all the way into the third trimester, and most Americans don't think abortion is something to celebrate or shout, to borrow from the pro-choice lobbyist public relations campaign. No, a majority of Americans, in fact, say abortion is immoral. And I might add that it's just downright evil. Well, into the context and culture of the world, St. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And to us, he writes in our present age as well. And Paul speaks about the value of all human life, and especially that life that is deemed weaker or even dispensable. 
early in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that God, in his wisdom, is willing to look foolish in the eyes of the world. Paul writes, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then furthermore, St. Paul writes, But God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Yeah, something like being turned over and shaken out. God wants to empty us of our self-centeredness and our self-sufficiency and our self-reliance. God wants to break us of our pride, to remake us as His people. He wants to remove that exterior facade and expose the sin of our hearts so that He can heal our souls and help us live as Spirit-led followers of Jesus. And to do this, the eternal divine Son of God becomes human. He becomes human in the incarnation as the Word became flesh and dwells among us, full of grace and truth. Yes, the Son of God embraces being a human. The Son of God is a zygote. The Son of God is an embryo. The Son of God is a fetus. The Son of God is born as a child. The Son of God existed in Mary's womb, fully man and yet fully God. For nine months, the Son of God is invisible in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And for most of his earthly life, he's invisible in the eyes of the society as he dwells among humanity with his glory veiled. He is neither recognized, known, nor received by his own, as the Apostle John writes in John's Gospel. The ancient prophet Isaiah predicted this in saying, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces... He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And so Jesus, the Son of God, he dies a sinner's death so that he might assure us that all human life is valuable to God who created us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The mighty creator becomes the child. The sovereign God is the suffering savior. The one worthy of all honor is humiliated on a cross. This is the baffling way of God. And it's mocked and it's ridiculed by the the world. But it's the way that God chooses to show that he honors and cherishes and loves all human life. From the moment of conception to natural death and I might add, even on into eternity. Yes, the way of the Corinthian world scoffs and mocks the value that God places on all people. But God, through St. Paul, calls the Corinthian Christian believers to live differently, to live differently from the godless world in which they reside. Followers of Christ are to see other people through the lens of Jesus' love for all people. And in doing so, they will see the invisible and they will use their life and spend their life in serving the weak. Admittedly, this is a struggle even for Christians in Corinth. For like their pagan neighbors, they've drunk the Kool-Aid, the poisonous Kool-Aid that, where they champion their own abilities, their own positions, their own accomplishments, their own prestige, their own conveniences. And so many, even within the Christian church in Corinth, have no time nor the humility to serve one another, and especially those who are weaker 
among them. But St. Paul reminds them that they are one in body. They are one in Christ. For just as, the one, just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Their self-boasting or their self-centered boasting is the equivalent of a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear, each thinking that it's the most essential part of the body. But as St. Paul explains, a healthy body is not composed of just one member. If so, it would simply be a worthless pile of eyes or ears or feet or, or hands, and how foolish would that body be? No, there are no members which are unimportant or dispensable without harm coming to the, to the body and the body's suffering limitations in its function. St. Paul notes that, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for every for, for one another. You see, every member, every part, every, purpose, every person is purposely created and handcrafted by God. King David, the psalmist, declared, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We live in a world like Corinth where human life is valued and measured by its position, its power, its possessions, its potential, and whether or not it's inconvenient for us or not. But God declares that from the moment of conception, human life is of infinite value because every person is a creation of God and He ascribes worth to every person. All humans, right from the moment of conception, are worthy of life because of the author and giver of life. And yet tragically, in our nation alone, over 60 million pre-born humans have been aborted, snuffed out, since the infamous Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision in 1973. To most, oh, they're simply an invisible casualty of a culture and society driven by different devilish pressures. Furthermore, the ethical slope of human variation or, or valuation of life is slippery. In the 1970s, philosopher Dr. Francis Schaeffer warned the United States that if abortion was legalized, it would lead to infanticide and euthanasia. He was scoffed and criticized. But sadly, tragically, his prophecy is being fulfilled in our midst today. For example, in the Netherlands, elderly people are afraid to go to the hospital for fear of being euthanized. Iceland recently announced that they have nearly eliminated Down syndrome from their nation. Have they found a cure? No. They've just made sure to terminate all pregnancies which have the potential of a child with Down syndrome. There's even a strident movement within our own country to follow similar suit. 
And as we heard before in this message, we even have governors of some of our states calling for infanticide and legislators applauding abortion. And now, even this week, policy's been changed so that once again, we, the United States, fund abortion all around the world. God grant us as we heard in our Old Testament reading, kind of the attitude of the people of Nineveh. We heard in the Old Testament reading how these wicked and unrepentant people actually did repent of their sin, of their wickedness, upon hearing God's judgment. And these heartless, immoral pagans actually repented of their sin, and God relented from bringing disaster upon them. Oh, may we have a similar repentant heart today. You see, rather than erase people, God calls us to embrace every human life that he gives as a cherished gift. In our nation, there's been a cultural pressure on some to view their life as disposable and without value. And this is especially true of the elderly. Their worth has become invisible. And there's even sometimes pressures put upon the elderly to consider gracefully, quote-unquote, gracefully ending their life so they're no longer a burden to their families. Well, we must speak. We must speak up for life from the first conceived to the very end. And we must speak life to them. In Proverbs 31, verse 8, God commands, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Our world is filled not only with those whose voices are unheard, but also there are many who suffer in silence and whose whose burdens are invisible to those around them. There are many people, and I'm maybe speaking to some of them this morning, who carry the heavy burden of shame and guilt over having had an abortion or having pressured someone to have an abortion. I might even be speaking to someone who has performed an abortion. Well, we need to speak clearly and compassionately to them, to you, about God's mercy and grace, love and forgiveness. As I said, I might be speaking to someone who is feeling guilt-ridden, shameful because they had an abortion in the past, or maybe they pressured someone to have an abortion. And if I'm speaking to such a person, please hear this. Know that Jesus Christ died for your sin. And in Christ, your sin is forgiven. To those who struggle with infertility, we're to offer our support and prayer. To single parents who are stretched to the breaking point to care for their child, we're to offer them tangible care and assistance. To those who are homeless, without jobs, who are lonely or alone, We're to make space and provisions for them in our midst and, yes, in our hearts. Our text reads that upon our less honorable parts, we're to bestow the greater honor. And we need to bring forth those parts which are unnoticed and invisible. And we're to honor them and to make a place for them in our lives. That's what the early Christians did. The early Christians were known for 
their love of life, both for members of the church and those who weren't members of the church. Early church father Tertullian, and I've mentioned this before, this quote, but early church father Tertullian recorded the reaction of the Romans when they witnessed the ways of the Christians. These pagan Romans would look at Christians and they'd say, look how the Christians love one another, for they, the Romans themselves, hate one another. And look how they are ready to die for each other, whereas the Romans themselves are readier to kill each other. The way of Christ and the way of the world were in vivid contrast, and it was a matter of life or death. Tertullian also wrote of how Christians rescued tiny babies who were thrown into the trash or under the dung heaps of Rome and raised them as their own children or gave them a decent and proper burial if they found them no longer living. You see, their love extended to all. Even the Roman Emperor Julian the Apostate readily admitted that it was the Christians who saw and served and cared for others. He lamented the progress of Christianity because it was pulling people away from the pagan Roman gods. Julian declared, and I quote, atheism, and that's what he called Christians, because Christians didn't believe in the, in the, in the uh, idols, the Roman idols. Instead, they believed in an invisible God. And so Julian the apostate referred to Christians as atheism. And he says, atheism has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Christians care not for their own, their own poor, but they also care for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Today is the day for you and me and for everyone who calls himself a Christian to boldly stand up and to see and serve and defend and celebrate God's gift of life, especially the gift of an unborn child. As we live our lives and worship to God, we give our lives in, in service to others. In the body of Christ, the strong stand in solidarity with the weak. The healthy, they care for the sick. The powerful, they protect the powerless. And those with honor and recognition Give honor and recognition to the overlooked and the invisible in our society. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we affirm the worth and value that every human life, from conception to natural death, has been given by God. Every human life has meaning and purpose and beauty and place, and each is to be visible and indispensable in God's creation. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of those who follow Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.